Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great podcast. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing you his unique perspectives on football, the personalities that surround it, and just about anything else he finds interesting. So go check out the Dominique Fosworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe. You are a hater. Coming up on The Right Time, we'll talk about the King holiday. We have got your voicemails and scary stories from around the world. But first... All right, man. They call this Super Wild Card Weekend, which I find to be interesting because it's still Wild Card Weekend. Like, it's not as though they added a different Wild Card Weekend or somehow they added some kind of like bonus pod that teams can hit for. And it's like one playoff win is worth two or something like that. Now, nah, it's just Wild Card Weekend with more teams in it. That's it. We, we just got a few more games. Now they run it all the way through Monday. That's all they've done. By the way, Not the most convenient situation for the people that record podcasts on Monday, right? I don't think they was thinking about that when they decided to do this. But whatever, you know, that's how they play. Um, The games that we wound up with this, this weekend were, I would say, more interesting than they were good would probably be the way to put it. Now, let's be fair on this. I would say that Dolphins Bills... That was a good game. Um, I did not get to see so much of uh, Giants and Vikings because I was at a wedding, right? Um, Dan is over here saying that that was a good game, but it is important to note that Dan is a Giants fan. He's not speaking on this from any sort of objective perspective. But then we got uh, Bengals-Ravens, which turned out to be a better game than I think that any of us would expect it, would have expected. Which, by the way, I feel like it's got to be a little bit terrifying for you if you're a Bengals fan. Like, that feels like a game that you kind of should have walked through, and instead, you got the lucky break of the Ravens trying to go in over the top with a short quarterback. So we got to stick the ball out and leave it all exposed. Instead, that thing gets punched out and goes the other way. Honestly, the kind of thing that would have happened to the Bengals for the majority of my life, and I'm 42 years old. Nope, this time they got to spin it back the other way. Uh, Maybe the most interesting thing about that game is Lamar Jackson did not even go to the game. Um, Also interesting is Marlon Humphrey saying after the game, look, man, we've seen this dude limping around the facility. We know that he couldn't play. Why are they being so dramatic if that's the case? Like, I don't think in that moment where they just lost this close playoff game that Humphrey absolutely believes they would have won if Lamar Jackson plays. I don't think he'd be out there cutting them slack in that moment if he really thought that that dude can play. Right? So if in that moment somebody's saying, sorry, it was clear that dude could not play, I'm just going to guess that dude could not play which then raises every question in the world about what exactly Baltimore thought they were getting. Because I've watched enough of Lamar to know if he walk around the building, hopping around, then you're not going to win with him playing. Like, this is not going to be, you're going to have him as your quarterback in all likelihood for at least the next two years. And if he's not going to be a quarterback for the next two years, it's because you plan to trade him. And you can't exactly trade him if he's a lemon, because I assure you, any team that's trying to get him is going to run him through every test possible to see if he can physically withstand playing football. So what in the world are you doing? That's all I'm asking. But that's what we got interesting out of that. I had a lot of you guys sending me messages about Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins checked down on fourth in the season. Fourth of the season, he checked it down. Um, I saw that he was asked about why he didn't throw it to Jefferson, and he said something about there was a safety shade in Jefferson, and he didn't feel good about it, and so he checked it down to TJ Hawkinson. And all I'm saying is, why do y'all keep trying to tell me this dude is something other than he is? 
Why is it that somebody's always got to pop up when they get a couple little victories going here and there, whatever, to tell you that you are obligated to give this man some measure of credit? Hey, you got to give Kirk Cousins credit. Why? That's all I'm asking you is what exactly the thing is that I am so obligated to give him credit for. Because you had fourth of the season and the dude checked it down. Like, that's it. The problem, again, is nobody is better at playing on scarcity than he is. He's what they got. He's what they got. They're not going to be able to just go out and get somebody off the street. It's not going to happen. He's the dude you got. Now, the thing is, he's now like 33, 34 years old. So, like, there ain't nothing to look forward to here. There is no, hey, man, well, you know, once he gets this thing figured out, it's going to be straight. No, he's that dude. There are some guys who just never can get that switch in their head like, hey, there's a big throw that needs to be made right now, and I got to make it. It might not work out, but I got to go ahead and take this chance. A great example of that is Alex Smith. Alex Smith's that dude. Um, When they lost that game where they blew like a four-touchdown lead to the Colts a few years ago, that game where the Chiefs just had dude dropping like flies, They uh, ruled Jamal Charles out of the game for a concussion. I don't think he even had one, but they just kept losing dudes. But there was a play late where they just, I think it was on the last drive where the Chiefs had the ball, and it was one of those, you got to get the ball out, bang, right here. And he was Alex Smith, and he just couldn't do it, right? Like, there's that, that level of confidence just isn't there for him. But I tell you who I bet would make that throw, your boy Brock Purdy. Hey, man. Me and Foxworth trying to talk to y'all about this with him. Um, I don't know if he's like the most exceedingly talented dude or the most wildly talented dude, but this is not entirely about Kyle Shanahan, right? Like, yeah, Shanahan's doing a lot of stuff to scheme cats into positions where a decent quarterback can make the throws. I don't want to pretend as though Shanahan has nothing to do with what's going on, right? That would be irresponsible. But I do think at some point you got to look at this dude and recognize What he'll do for you that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't was make that throw I keep talking about. All right, boom, it's there, bang. You got to get this thing out of here. You got to get it down the field. They got the guy that can do that. Now, I cannot believe that you're going to go through four playoff games and the rookie not play like a rookie. Right, you're just not going to be able to make me believe that that is possible. That you're going to get into a situation where you can go all the way through this and it's never going to come up like, hey, this dude wasn't playing a month ago or however long it's been. That's, that's tough for me. If they wind up having to go play a game in Philadelphia, for example, it's tough for me to buy that Brock Purdy's just going to come in there like Joe Montana and make it happen. I just can't see that. But... If he just doesn't wet his pants, that's all. Like he can hop around and do the pee-pee dance a little bit. That's fine. But if he just doesn't wet his pants, it sure does feel like they have a chance. Like, the thing about the NFC, at least for me right now, at least when you get to talking about quarterbacks, is it's just so many unproven commodities, at least when you start talking about the win-something level. Brock Purdy, obviously, unproven commodity. Um... As of this recording, the Cowboys are still in it. Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Daniel Jones, and Dan, I got to tap you into the chat on this one, okay? I'm hearing the E word get thrown around about Daniel Jones. He played a good game, right? Like, you don't want to, I don't want to pretend as though he, they did not win a game in spite of him. I don't think that this was smoke and mirrors, but can't y'all just calm down a little bit and just be happy you won a playoff game for the first time since I believe 2011? It has been that long, yes, but he had the game of his life in the most important game of his life. Yes. Going into the season, I did not think Daniel Jones would be the quarterback for the Giants next season, but he has earned that. He is going to get a contract extension. Hopefully not a massive one, but he is earned the right to be the quarterback. See, 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 there you go. You you understand where I'm coming from here because you said hopefully not a massive one. This feels like franchise time. Or are they going to give him like the Blake Bortles extension that looks like an extension, but it's really just a year? You you still want to keep him on the clock? 
Yeah, uh, and honestly, Bo, I think uh, the, the offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, deserves all the credit in the world. He called – people complain about play calling all the time. The play calling in that game yesterday was on point. It was incredible. Yeah, let me say this about Kafka because I don't ever, like, fully know what to do in times like these where the coach is, the, is an offensive guy and then you got the other guy that's the coordinator, like how you divide the credit or whatever it is. But I did watch Brian Dayball do the impossible with Josh Allen. Right, We really watched him turn into a completely different dude, which is making me wonder if he really is that guy, right? Like in terms of what we keep saying about, say, Kyle Shanahan. And maybe the thing with Shanahan is Shanahan can work around what you do. But Dayball seems to be in a position where he's actually making these dudes into better quarterbacks. And what's wild about that is there is a quarterback in the playoffs that Dayball couldn't do that with. Jalen Hurts. Dayball was the offensive coordinator in, at Alabama that year that they had to bring two off the bench to win the national championship. A big part of why I've been so skeptical on where it was going to go with Jalen Hurts is that game, that season, watching how that went when they just switched it out and put one other dude in there. But Dayball on the league level, he, he seemed to got something. Belichick over there wishing that he had been hoarding him on the staff to keep him around so he didn't have judge joe brown and matt patricia out there running their offense into the ground but guys i went around all these playoff games to finally get to this point to raise what i believe to be a very fair question and i'm not rooting for it but i'm just asking they fire brandon staley yet like i can't believe he still has a job I am shocked that he still has a job. I turned that game on a little bit late. And the score was 27 to nothing. They're telling me at that time that Asante Samuel has three interceptions. So I'm figuring that the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence have thrown three interceptions. No, they had thrown four interceptions. So I'm figuring at that point that the Jaguars have four turnovers. No, the Jaguars had five turnovers. Five turnovers, and it was 27 to nothing. And then the Jaguars went and scored a touchdown at the end of the first half and made it 27-7. to And I thought that that was pretty adorable. For may be frank, I thought it was pretty cute. It became very clear not too long into the second half that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to win that game. The Jacksonville Jaguars, okay? And why? Because they was playing the Chargers. And that's all I got is they were playing the Chargers. And again, I'm not out here rooting for Staley to lose his job. However, the way they lost it, and I put a lot of this on those Joey Bosa meltdowns, that, but that still goes back to coaching stuff, right? Like that's the thing where somebody's got to get on that dude. Like, hey, man, we kind of need you to hold it together right now. You're kind of blowing the game for us right now. They could not figure anything out on offense to try to stem the tide. And some of this falls on Justin Herbert. This is the thing I said earlier in the year about Lamar Jackson when they were blowing those leads in the fourth quarter. But they were the best team in the league for three quarters. And in the fourth quarter, they couldn't make it happen. And if your quarterback is supposed to be that dude, at some point, that dude does something to stem the tide, right? Like, I understand that it's too much to be out here asking, like, for one man to do something but so much in a game that has 11 people on the field at a time. And you'll think that this is a bit of a reach, but I think you'll feel where I'm coming from. Um, I think it was for one of the pregame shows, like the National Championship game or something. Deion Sanders came up um, on the set with the college game day dudes. And Desmond Howard told a story about, I think he said it was his first touchdown in the NFL. It was a punt punt went to brian mitchell they lateraled it to desmond howard desmond howard took it to the house they all so excited they were playing against the falcons Dion was so furious that he demanded to be put on the kickoff team got on the kickoff team caught the kickoff and took it back to the house 
He had simply made the decision that that was what was going to happen. He was going to take that to the house. Because sometimes when you're that dude, you can do that. And not once did that happen with the charges. Now, again, this is not something to me to, I don't take this as some like larger referendum on Justin Herbert and what he is and what he's not. Before that day, he wasn't enough. I don't think there's any way around that, especially when you consider and you can say, hey, well, they had a 27-0 lead. That 27-0 lead had a lot more to do with five turnovers than it did about the quarterback, right? Like, this isn't one of those where it's like, I got you here. Now you guys should have brought that back home. No, the defense got you there. And it got to a point where you needed to do a little bit something for them. And they didn't get it done. So given that I heard a lot of people coming into this year raising questions about whether Brandon Staley would still have that job, I am surprised that as of the time that I'm saying this, that he still has a job. Now, I talked to Dominique about this, and Dominique raised what I think is a very interesting point about why it is that he might still have a job, which is they ain't got no fans. So they don't really have anybody that they got to answer to. So if, if the players still believe him to be capable, then yeah, I guess he can keep his job. I am stunned that he still has a job. Between what happened with Mike Williams in the last week of the season and this, I thought that this would meant that this mean that this dude wouldn't have a job no more. But hey, look, again, good for him. Maybe that is also a measure of self-awareness from the people who run the charges. Where you get up, you look around, and you realize, hey, man, this is just who we are. We do stuff like this. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, so um, we are recording this on the Martin Luther King holiday. Um, I typically like to do something here where I talk about the holiday, just kind of give it some context. And, um, you know, this isn't one of those I feel like you can leave in the hands of everybody else. And I'll be honest, like, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody in this world, but this is a little bit more important than President's Day to me, right? Like, this isn't just a an excuse to not go to work or whatever. Like, I think that there's time and room to talk about a lot of things that, as over the years, we have obviously seen the reduction of Martin Luther King to a bit of a cartoon character um, and as benign and fangless as possible, because that is what makes people a little bit more comfortable. This is not an uncommon trick. I talk all the time when I tell this story. I was reading um, Timothy White's bio of Bob Marley called Catch a Fire, and I guess I'm not around people that wear Bob Marley t-shirts as much as I used to, but you'll see the t-shirts that refer to him as the Honorable Robert Nesta Marley, comma, O period, M period, O period, M period, is uh, the order of merit. I forget what rank of honor it is that the Jamaican government can give you, but it was bestowed upon him. 
And they went back later and found all the documents to say that a big part of why the Jamaican government wanted to give Marty that honor is to give the appearance that he was a friend of the government and to try to defang the revolutionary aspects of his personality, right? Like, that's always the dangerous game when it comes to stamps and all those things because, hey, man, how gangster could somebody be if the government is getting behind it? So it becomes more beneficial for these institutions to do that than it is to fight against the honor because then you're putting it out there that you're against this person that the people in the world have decided is a beloved figure. Now, when King died, he certainly wasn't an across-the-board beloved figure, but he's beloved enough to win the Nobel Peace Prize, you know? Um... I thought about King when I saw this little stunt that Ed Reed pulled uh, this weekend at Bethune-Cookman. And if you see this, Reed hasn't even taken the head coaching job at Bethune-Cookman yet. But he's talking about the state of campus and he's complaining about how they didn't even clean his office out yet. And I got to be honest, um, I would be a little bit miffed if I was just starting a job and I'm the head football coach and they ain't cleaned up my office, right? He's not the first person in a similar situation to go through a similar thing. I would be a bit miffed about that. I don't blame him for having a problem with that. I blame him for putting it on Instagram like he's 14 years old. Like, that's what I don't understand about making that move. That's not how you handle business as a grown-up. Like, I don't feel like you are Ed Reed. They are Bethune-Cookman. You don't need to extort them by embarrassing them in front of people under these circumstances. You just don't need to do that. I don't know what job Ed thought that he was taking. Because part of what I'm talking about here on that is, man, it is messed up that they ain't come in there and clean your office before you get there. Did you ask yourself if they got somebody who has the time to clean your office? Because look, um, Bethune has got its own set of issues and they've had their issues and the questions about the behaviors of people who have been in charge have been questions about how money is handled over there uh, on top of the fact that a few natural disasters have befallen the campus in a fairly recent period of time. Like this is a tough gig if Ed Reed decides that he wants to do it. Um, some of the stuff is inflicted upon the campus from the outside. Some of it is self-inflicted. Some of it is what you always have to keep in mind in these situations with the state schools is what the state of Florida is willing to allow at that school, the level of oversight that they're willing to put in to make sure that they do everything that they are supposed to do. Who are the people that wind up on the board? How do they get there? All of those things. Those are all fair questions. And I don't, I don't blame Ed Reed if he got there and was like, yo, what the hell is going on here? But this is the job. Like, this is what it is. And if you don't want to do it, I don't blame you for not wanting to do it because it's a pretty significant undertaking. If you don't want to do it, I don't blame you for not wanting to do it. What I do blame him for is that he gets in and the first thing that he wants to talk about is changing the broken or their, their broken mentalities at HBCUs, and that's what the problem is. And I'm like, dog, you just got there. Like, you didn't go to one. You just got here. How do you know this, right? Is it because Dion says something, and then you got to this place, and you feel kind of similar to Dion, and so now you decided that this is an across-the-board situation? Nah, 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 I don't see that. And this is, again, while also seeing why it is that he would have a problem with some of the things that he was describing 100% getting why he would feel the way that he did. But much like I felt about Dion having a problem with the way that these dudes are going about it. Now, the connection that I want to make with Reed to Dr. King is not one. And I want to get this out of the way in advance of it. I am not saying that Ed Reed should be Martin Luther King. But I am using a dude like Reed to give you a measure of insight as to what makes somebody like King or what made somebody like King so special and unique. If you want to do something for Bethune-Cookman, okay, and I'm going to be like, I don't think there's any other way to put this. If you don't want to do something for the school that you work for, 
if you go into coach at an HBCU program, you probably shouldn't do that job. And I'm saying that you probably shouldn't because you're not going to get enough of the other stuff out of it. Right. Like this isn't going to be a win for you if you're not going into it to do something for the place. And if you are Ed Reed, you can actually afford to do that. Right. And I'm not saying that Ed Reed should work for cheap or anything else like that. But if you make the decision that this is something that you want to do, you got the money that would allow you to take what is relatively meager pay, especially based on what you you know, what your peers get paid at the FCS level or anything else. You can come in there and you can put something back in and it's not really going to hurt your pockets. You know, you're not going to struggle, I don't think. Let me stay out of that man's pockets. For all I know, he may have got involved in a Ponzi scheme, put up a scheme, put all his money in Bitcoin. I don't know. But I'm going to guess that Ed Reed got his money right and he'd be fine if he decided to do that. That's going to have to be a significant motivation for you to work there. That, that's, that's just what it's going to have to be. And it has to be that contribution. So one thing that I always remember when we talk about King is I forget exactly how much money it was that King got for winning the Nobel Peace Prize. But one thing to remember is the Kings, the family, didn't have no money. You know, because one thing you also can't forget is how young King was. Like he's in his early 30s when he wins the Nobel Peace Prize. I want to say he's like 34, 33, 34, somewhere in there. He took all that money and gave it back to the movement. Like, it would have been perfectly reasonable to keep some, if only for the family, if only for the kids. They gave all that money back to the movement, right? Like, that's what he was in it for. Now, you look around. Like, you do the math and you check what's going on with the so-called activist class of this day, particularly when it comes to civil rights. And I got to say, they do seem to be making a lot of money off of this. They do. Right. Some of them I judge. Some of them I don't. Some of the reasons I understand. Some of the reasons I find to be indefensible. But the spirit of King is a dedication to the cause that is hard to find anyone else who has replicated that. Now, part of that may be because King died at thirty nine. Right. And the reason I say that it may be in part because King died at 39 is we didn't have a chance for him to get old enough to just say, it, let me get some money right fast. A lot of people have come down that path and maybe that would have happened, but it never got there. There is and was a moral purity to the way that King handled the cause and handled the movement that went along with the clarity of his words at every turn. That makes it such that every time I talk about this, I make it a point to say that the only way somebody can misrepresent King is on purpose. He laid it out so clearly and so plainly at every turn that when you see people try to turn him into this benign Santa Claus type of figure, you could only do that on purpose. It's the only way that you can because everything else is right there and is directly in front of you. And the way that he handled his life with regards to this movement, and when you go read on it, it's right there and it's so clear. Like, the dude went up there to Chicago to try to do something about what life was there and moved in, moved himself into the same slums as the people that he was looking to help while, it appears, also fighting a real bout of depression. Like, that's a man that was about something way, way, way bigger than him. Way bigger than him. And that's a big part of why we deal with him and treat him with such a measure of respect. And I don't expect the Ed Reeds of the world to literally be Dr. King, right? Like, obviously, he was a unique figure because we give him a day, right? <laughs> like, uh, like, we ain't gonna have 365 holidays, that's not that's not gonna be Dr. King day every three years because we got to get through all the Dr. Kings in order to have time to honor them individually. No, it's not gonna be that. But when I hear those dudes go into these spaces and talk like that and talk like the way he was talking on that Instagram video and the way that he, you know the way that he's, it's just disappointing because what it looks like is Ed looked at this the same way that Dion did, which was to look at this HBCU and think about what it could do for them. 
And I don't feel like either of them really have gone into this with a consideration of what they can do for the schools. Now, again, not saying Dion didn't do anything for Jackson State, for example. Not saying it wasn't a win for Jackson State. But he wasn't doing that for Jackson State. <laughs> he was doing that to get to where it was that he wanted to be. And so this is a day where we think about somebody who you can't flip it, you can't maneuver it, you can't do anything else about it. He did it for us. Not just the us that look like me, right? He did it for the grander royal us. And a lot of us, myself included, probably need to do a little bit more of that than doing just for ourselves. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bomani, first story today is from the world of artificial intelligence. This is Pranshu Verma, an innovations reporter for The Washington Post. In 2022, artificial intelligence entered the mainstream like never before and made waves. We saw AI chatbots and image makers create content humans thought were real. Soldiers in Ukraine used AI to make decisions on the battlefield, and robots used AI to get better vision. In 2023, AI experts say we'll see more of this gold rush continue, but they also noted that the racist, sexist, and problematic tendencies of the software won't go away. Still, they said here's a few things to look out for. First, this year, we're likely to see more AI chatbots come out that answer human questions in really lifelike ways. And what's more, we could also see this technology adapt to speech and start seeing companies dabble in creating AI-powered helplines and virtual assistants. Another is AI software could make robots see even better at things that are in motion and help them pick up things with lifelike finesse and become more widespread on factory floors. And third, we could also see more AI software used in war to help soldiers make decisions on the battlefield and help managers maintain their supply of weapons. And finally, the courts might provide some guardrails for how AI software is made, and the EU might create regulations for software requiring, among other things, for humans to know if they're talking to a computer or a real person. All I'm saying is this is not going to be good for black people. Like, you, you hear the way he just rolled it in there? Well, you know, some of the racist and sexist tendencies will continue. That's a big deal, guy. That's really, really huge. Like, I can see the ways that this stuff can be helpful, like, as a kickstart. Like, I think about it in terms of ideation and coming up with stuff. Like, I'd seen something like David Bowie had a machine. I may have talked about this on here, but he had a machine where he would press a button, and the button would just spit out a phrase, and the phrase might sound like gobbledygook, but it would be something just to get the brain kick-started. You might hear a song or a title or a concept in that, right? Like, you just need something to throw out there. Like, if you could think about your brain like Amazon, like people who get overwhelmed going to Amazon, like, I'm going to get something off Amazon. What's there? Everything in the world, right? You need something to poke you and narrow it down. And so, like, I see the value in the AI stuff, man, but you mother are way too lazy to leave it at that. Y'all gonna ask somebody else to do this. Like, like why, 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 would I, why would I put forth any effort when there's a machine to do that very thing? I know y'all. I ain't new here. This is exactly what y'all gonna be out here doing. That's the part that bad news, baby. Bad, 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 bad news, right? Because look, these machines, I mean, 
Y'all, y'all watch ghost stories, like, like, like horror movies when you're kids, and you still be afraid to, like, what might be in the closet for many, many, many years. All this science fiction done come out and warned you about the robots taking over our lives, and everybody think that's fake, huh? All the, all the wild things that people see on the internet and they believe, but they don't see these robots coming. Y'all think y'all outsmarted the game in every single way, and it's so obvious these robots about to kill us, take us out. Right. I, tell, I read a story about AI that raised the question of whether or not in the presence of AI, there was going to be any need to teach like kids writing. That doesn't sound like the, are we really that lazy and stupid? And the answer is yes. Yes, we are. All right. This next story is from the world of cryptocurrency, or is this better known on this podcast? Funny money. Hi, I'm George Glover, and I'm a markets reporter for Insider in the UK. The crypto sector has suffered the mother of all crashes over the past 12 months. And this week, one major company showed that it's feeling the squeeze. Coinbase, which is an exchange where people can buy and sell cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, said Tuesday that it would be cutting 950 jobs, which accounts for around 20% of its total workforce. It's the second round of major job cuts that Coinbase has made after it reduced its total headcount by 18% back in June 2022. Coinbase said that it's making the job cuts as part of a restructuring plan that will help it to save up some cash as it tries to weather a turbulent period for the crypto market. But ultimately, the exchange is probably struggling because people just don't want to trade crypto anymore. And there's two main reasons for that. Firstly, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates from near zero to around 4.5% last year as part of a campaign to bring inflation under control in America. That's bad for all investable assets because it means people can earn a higher yield when they simply park their cash in a savings account. So there's less reason for them to look for returns in stocks or bonds or cryptocurrencies. But crypto has also been rocked by scandal after scandal, which has eroded investors' trust. Most notably, rival exchange FTX filed for bankruptcy in November. And last month, its now-disgraced chief executive, Sam Bankman-Fried, was extradited from the Bahamas to the US to face eight counts of fraud. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong appeared to reference Bankman-Fried and FTX when he announced the upcoming job cuts, in a blog post on the company's website. He referred to unscrupulous actors in crypto. Coinbase is a publicly traded stock, which means investors got the chance to show Armstrong what they thought of his latest restructuring plan. Shares rose to a one-month high after the job cuts were announced on the basis that Coinbase will be able to save some cash and potentially weather the turmoil in crypto markets. And because this is a sports podcast, it might be worth jogging your memories as to where you could have seen the name Coinbase before. Coinbase was the crypto exchange promoted by the QR code advert during last year's Super Bowl, in which a barcode that linked to the exchange's website bounced around the TV in the manner of an old DVD loading screen. Funny money. Seems that the funny money, y'all don't find it so fun no more, but you recognize that it is funny. (laughs) See, this is the thing about the crypto. I mean, I think this is a fair point to consider when you start talking about people rather than putting their money into crypto, putting it into these, you know, savings accounts or whatever that are giving a higher yield and are obviously safer. I think one mistake that the funny money devotees made is they thought that everybody was going to believe. Right. Like they were selling this in a way where they needed people to believe in funny money right they were going to change the world like there was an ethos that was fundamentally behind it. But in the end, man, people just trying to take care of their money. Like most people are not trying to make money in this way. They're really just trying to take care of their money. As I've said many times, none of the commercials for Merrill Lynch or Charles Schwab are about how you going to hit for a lick. They're about security and they show like lake houses and stuff like that. And what you can look forward to. Most people are just trying to find some way to put their money and know that it's going to be straight. That's what they were looking for. Right. And so, where the crypto people are like, hey, man, we need to get our money away from the government and all this stuff and da-da-da and everything else. Fed say they hiking interest rates. They're like, yo, you heard what the government's doing? Yeah, man, I think I'm going to go get me one of them CDs or whatever it is. And then they throw their money over there. So I think some form of the cryptocurrency thing is always going to be around, but it really is starting to feel like, in it, like everything else in our time. It was a fad. It wasn't a moment. It wasn't a movement. It was a moment. And I wonder if like that big run we saw, I don't know where it comes from after that, but I tell you this, tried to warn y'all about that funny money. Can't say I ain't. I've been trying to warn y'all about funny money for over a decade if you follow me. Streets will tell you. 
All right, last story. I guess I could politely say it's from the world of treasure hunting. I'm Becky Ferreira, a reporter for Vice. The Dutch town of Buren had to warn people not to look for Nazi treasure that was said to be buried there during the final months of World War II. Prospectors flocked to the area this month after the National Archives of the Netherlands released a map that marks the spot where Nazis buried a small fortune as they retreated from Allied forces in 1945. The long-lost stash was said to contain coins, jewelry, gems, and other valuables estimated to be worth about $19 million today, though many experts believe the booty has long since been plundered. Hopeful treasure hunters have inundated Buren since the government released the map, prompting officials to advise against searching the area because it is close to the front line of the Second World War and may still be littered with unexploded munitions. The map originally belonged to a German soldier whose whereabouts and ultimate fate are currently unknown. In the years following the war, Dutch officials tried to find the treasure several times and even enlisted the help of the German soldier, but they were never able to find it. Experts have speculated that the treasure could have been already ransacked by any number of people during the turbulent end of World War II, from local villagers to retreating Nazi soldiers to Allied forces. But many people still hold out hope that the loot may lay undisturbed in the tranquil Dutch countryside, just waiting to be unearthed. Okay. So. What always is interesting to me about stuff like that is people think they are going to be the first people to come up with this bright idea. So the government puts a map out there and you're like, cool, I'm going to go out there and try to find the treasure. And I'm thinking about the people that are out there trying to get the treasure. And at least one of those people is willing to kill you. Like, there's a lot of overlap in willing-to-kill-you population and people that's out here doing stuff like this. You feel me? Like, somebody out there is willing to kill you uh, behind this. Like, people are willing to kill you over a Jordan drop. What do you think is going to happen? Y'all going to get in there, and it's $19 million worth of stuff, and you're going to be like, all right, one for you, one for you, one for you, one for me. No, 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 no. That, that right there is probably not going to happen. And that's before we got to the it might be mines in the ground. I'm not going to lie. Tell you what I would be doing. And to explain to you what I would be doing, I'm going to read to you a story from 2006. Minutes after buying a coveted PlayStation 3 on Friday morning, a 17-year-old boy found himself on the business end of a black handgun in a Lehigh Valley Mall parking lot. What had happened was the PlayStation 3 had just came out, right? And so you had all the people that were camping out to go in at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was to get their PlayStation 3. But see, the problem was if you were at the mall at Friday at whatever time it was, guess what? Everybody knew you had a PlayStation 3. So when you jumped out and got in your car to turn around and leave, we knew you had a PlayStation 3. And so somebody just needed to set up and wait for all y'all to come there with those PlayStation 3s. And then when you turn that corner, I'm going to either get the money that you had planned to use on that PlayStation 3 or I'm going to get a PlayStation 3. And I'm trying, unfortunately, my phone has decided to lock up. So I can't get you the best quote I remember from these stories of 2006. And it says somebody had got their PlayStation 3 and somebody pulled that tool out and he ain't want to give it up. And the cops said one of the victims tried to resist. That victim got shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying you might not want to show up um trying to find that buried treasure because you might find something else the heat hey this is bomani you have reached the right time voicemail say whatever you want get creative with it but this is your place to talk back to the show so talk back peace topic this week tell us about that time where you sent a text about somebody but you sent it to that somebody how'd you come up with that one? Oh man i forget what tv show i saw that on also we all been there it's the worst <laughs> i've damaged a professional <laughs> relationship with that one go on 
Nah, 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 because it involves names that you know of. All right, we'll go to the voicemails then. Here's your first one. A few years ago, I was dating my now wife, and I bought a ring. I knew what kind of ring she wanted. I was looking forward to proposing to her, and I was texting with a friend of mine about it. And this friend, her name starts with an H, and my girlfriend, now wife, her name started with an H also. And when I went to pull up the picture of the ring I bought, I'm feeling all excited. I'm going to do this big surprise, going to, you know, show her how much I love her, surprise her with the ring. I accidentally send the picture of the ring to my girlfriend. And I don't even notice because I'm just waiting for my friend to text back. And I'm just like, I don't know why she hasn't texted me back. So I go to the text thread and see I never sent it. And that's when I realize, oh, no, I sent it to my girl. So I go to the text thread with my girl. I start figuring out a plan, and I see that she's got that dot, dot, dot. Like she's starting to respond. And I go into extra quick Google mode and start Googling images, pear-shaped diamond, pear-shaped ring, and all of a sudden I'm just spamming the text thread with all <laughs> sorts of rings. And she responds, question mark, and I go, you know, I was just wondering – uh, you know, which one of these you would like some starting to look at rings? Because she knew, like, we'd been talking about for a while. So, you know, she goes, oh, that's so sweet. And I'm sitting there like, all right, I covered my ass. The surprise is saved. Everything's cool. And then she responds, I absolutely love the third one. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, well... Too bad. You're not getting it. And I'm sure you're going to love the first one, too. She ended up doing it. But at that moment, I was just like, you cannot come up with a worse way to bosh a surprise than showing her the ring and then getting her excited about some other one. <laughs> I, I do think flooding the zone was a great idea, but maybe you need to flood the zone with just a bunch of other stuff. Right? Like, like you went with the flooded with the ring, but I guess you found out late. So she was already hip to it. I, I, I give you credit. I'm going to send a bunch of other rings. I think the move should have been, though, sending a bunch of other cuts. And then let her be like, no, I would like a pear-shaped cut. And you're like, bet, bet. That, like, maybe, wow, wow. My stomach would have been like, just a knot, just a knot. An, I mean, there's, man, that's why they got that new unsend feature. All right, here's your next one. So I'm coaching college track, and I have a an athlete who winds up being number two in the world in his event and is an All-American at the NCAA championship and then makes the USA Outdoor Championship, which is how you qualify to make the world championship team. And he had a really bad meet at the USA championship. So I text my friend who coaches, because I'm just frustrated, he's jumping like crap, and I say, this kid has no balls, except I sent it to the kid. And so I'm embarrassed as hell. I act like I didn't do it. Nothing's wrong. He never mentions it. Things are good. He comes back. He's got one more year of eligibility left. He has a really good meet. And you can tell he's been saving this for a year. And so after that really good meet that he has, he comes up to me and he says, so, Coach, I got no balls, huh? <laughs> yeah you kind of need to own that one coach i gotta say that's not the kind of stand-up behavior i expect from a leader of men damn he just went with the maybe you didn't see it hmm ain't that something wow yikes <laughs> we got one more dad here it is. Yeah, this one doesn't exactly qualify to the prompt, but it was good enough that I had to play it. A few years ago, it's my birthday, and I got a cousin who has a birthday um, the next day after mine. So my old lady and I were at the um, cousin's little birthday celebration they were having. Now, my kids were younger at the time, and my niece, who probably was in her late teens, maybe 20 or so, was babysitting my kids. So me and my wife are sitting at the table, and I get it in my mind to, you know, send her a somewhat suggestive text. Not super freaky, but, you know, something that a husband <laughs> texts to his wife. And, you know, I'm looking at her, you know, waiting for her reaction when I send this text to her, and, you know, I don't get it. 
So I look at my phone again to at the text and realize that the last person I had texted on my phone was my niece before she came to my house to watch my children, and I had sent this freaky deaky text to my niece instead. So freaked out, I gave my phone to my wife and said, look what I just texted to my niece. And so she goes into scramble mode, and she sends her a text saying, you know, your uncle is drunk. Don't pay any attention to him, whatever, whatever. It's been at least seven, eight years ago. And to this day, when I see my niece, we've never spoken about it at all. Dog, I feel like you really, like, need to clarify that. I mean, I could be wrong here, but I feel like, like, do they, I would never be left alone with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, nah, 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 nah. All this, nah, he, nah, 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 nah. You, you need to take a more proactive approach. Like, you need to be like, hey, girl, we grown. And I thought I was sending it to, to, to Yanny. And, you know, like, like, nah, 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 nah. I think it's very important for that young lady and everybody else for you to just be like, yo, this is what grown folks be doing. Unfortunately, you got a glimpse into that window too early. But I wasn't really trying to send that to you. Like, like, because, because, ooh, damn. Woo! Yeah. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this here three times a week. Dance, dancing, and Parker, all with Hamlet things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, thanks to our, if you haven't heard, contributors. Thanks to Pranshu Verma of the Washington Post. Check out the story on what to expect from AI in 2023 at WashingtonPost.com. Thanks to George Glover of Insider. Check out his story on Coinbase cutting 20% of his workforce at BusinessInsider.com. And thanks to Becky Ferreira of Vice. Check out her story on a town telling people to stop looking for Nazi gold. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.